0: right everybody welcome back to uh the channel this week we have a guest dean dean abbott how are you good how are you first heard about you on twitter Uh uh-huh
1: and then i
0: heard something special i'm sorry
1: i've been doing that for a while twitter
0: twitter so much fun I I, I love Twitter so much. I mean, people complain about it all the time, but ultimately, what I say is just people expressing their thoughts and feelings. I mean, what could be better
1: than that? You know, one of the points I make all the time to people is you know, um, you're not a victim to your own social media applications. Like, you're like everyone you follow on Twitter. It's an
0: algorithm, it's a mirror. Right. Don't you get that? You're complaining about TikTok. It's just showing you what you are.
1: Right. Right. It's hilarious. no one comes to your house and and forces you to follow anyone on Twitter, right? That's the thing that always seems crazy to me is like people literally complaining about the timelines on Twitter that they built. It's like,
0: you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it, it's beautiful in a way because it just shows that we have this undercurrent of feeling and emotion that has a reason all to itself. And mm-hmm. if you want to feel like a victim, mm. You're right. going to figure out a way to feel like a victim, right? It, it right. doesn't matter how smart you are. And of course, as we talk about here, I mean, I don't know how much you know about me, but this is a psychology channel. I'm a therapist. Right. And so we talk about you're doing something that you don't want to do, supposedly, right? You're Why on TikTok you four hours a day, complaining about all these people on TikTok you don't like, well, you know, you're playing into that. That's just a mirror that shows you what's going on. Right. And uh, if you want to feel like a victim, you know, I would argue if we have anxiety that we don't know how to manage, you know, you're going to feel like a victim. And in a way, that's the modern predicament is everybody feels like a victim, yet no one is.
1: What uh, Well, the way I phrased it just now was, you know, why do you want to do these things you don't want to do? Right. Like, why do you want to be on TikTok for four hours a day when you don't want to be on TikTok for four hours a day?
0: Right. What does that do for you? Right. How does that serve you? How is that, in fact, an important piece of your life and a story that you tell yourself about who you are and sorry to all the mindset guys out there. I don't know where you stand on this, but I'm very anti-mindset CBT. Sorry Mm -hmm. to all the mindset guys out there, you know, doing your affirmations isn't going to help.
1: Yeah. Again, I don't know how, um, how much you want to get into this kind of thing, but, um, it's. It seems pretty clear to me, as soon as you begin to examine any, you know, like any anything like this, any behavior that people complain about, that it quickly goes beyond the kind of conscious and cognitive um, realm into, like you were saying a moment ago, this sort of current of underlying emotion and belief that most people just aren't conscious of.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Of course. I mean, what what would be the other explanation? If if, I mean, that's what I always say, if you want to change something about yourself, but you can't change it, if you're still complaining about it a week later, well, then by definition, there's an unconscious issue there.
1: Right? Oh, yeah.
0: You know, people talk about like a scientific validity to an unconscious, we look at neuron science and all that. and, And that all may be have some merit, but ultimately, just philosophically, we can extend it oh, look, you're doing something that you supposedly don't want to do. By definition, there is an unconscious issue there that is affecting you. Again, by definition, outside of your awareness. Right. And that's right. really the point of therapy. And uh, just something to look at about yourself is if you're complaining about Twitter or TikTok or, Inst- or you know, whatever. It's just, that's Great. a so, mirror.
1: So if I ask you, why do you do that? And you cannot give me any kind of full reason. That's a that's a sign that you're not consciously aware of what, why you do it. Right. Right.
0: Exactly. And I think that's ultimately the point of therapy is not only give the reason why, but actually go back and explain where that comes from and why you would want to feel that way.
1: Yes. A hundred percent.
0: So anyways, yeah, we, uh, uh, saw you on Twitter and I've been following you for a while, you know, great tweets, insightful. I definitely recommend everybody go follow you. I mean, I'll put your Twitter handle underneath my uh, video here. Happy, don't count on a huge upswing of swing followers for me. Right, Not exactly, exactly a popular channel here, but you if, know, uh, I... I yeah,
1: <laughs> if, if my Twitter following doubles, we'll know why. <laughs>
0: right. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, well, anyways, <laughs> it's just... Uh, but I, I'll, I'll put your uh, Twitter handle up there. But um, I don't know. I, I guess there's a lot of um, overlap there between Twitter and people complaining about it and this book that we want to talk about. Hopefully, you want to talk about the book and not the musical. Sure. I didn't ask you that before, and because the the musical is just god awful. I mean, not just the fact that it's a musical. Do you have a opinion on that? I tried to watch it. It was on PBS one time, and and it was oh. about halfway through. It was actually the barricade scene. It was on PBS. I'm like, oh sweet! I'm gonna, I never actually going to sit down and watch this, and I, I couldn't make it through five minutes. It was terrible.
1: Well. I've seen the musical. uh, I've seen the musical on stage, and I've seen the film. uh, Well, with Hugh Jackman, of course. And uh, I adore it. I love the music. uh, I love it all. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Well, maybe you're just a bigger fan than I am of it. Maybe. Uh, Yeah. Well, I just couldn't make. I'm just not a fan of musicals. I mean, you know, obvious commentary there about you know being a guy not liking musicals. I I did kind of like Book of Mormon.
1: Yeah, I've not seen that. But but even that just got,
0: I mean it's three hours. I mean like, come on, guys. I, mean, anyway.
1: I think the musical of Les Mis kind of de- distills the the essence of of what is of the sort of the underlying moral story of his, of Jean Valjean's development. Um, you think well so? Enough, well enough that the average that the average person who's not going to sit down and read, you know, yeah. a, a seven hundred page novel, um, could benefit from it. Seven hundred, more well,
0: like twelve eighty-three. I mean, that's my uh, Signet Classic, which I think is the one that it's you need long. to get. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So I'm trying to remember now because actually my first podcast episode way back in 2012, I think. Oh wow! It must have been in 2012 because it was right after the movie came out that mm-hmm. based on the musical in 2012. And the reason I didn't like it, okay, so there were three reasons. The one of them being. Is that after the bishop, you know, in a sense, buys Jean Valjean's soul Mm -hmm. by saying, no, I actually lent him the silverware and, you know, these silver candlesticks that, you know, Jean Valjean, in fact, stole after being let out of prison after 19 years. Mm -hmm. What I think is so psychologically important about the book is even after that, even after the bishop does that to Jean Valjean, he still goes and steals the, Mm. the coin from that little boy.
1: Oh, that's right that's right that's right yeah it's and i think that's right because the, he 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 steals it but he doesn't he give it back i can't remember but he i know that he, he, he tries thinks, he thinks like right.
0: in that moment he tries but the the little boy the petit gervais he gets away so he can't find him anymore mm-hmm. and that's right. when he repents that's when he breaks down that's when he says it, it prays in a sense and says why must i be such a miserable man mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And that's the start of the transformation. And I, I think that is is very you're just incredibly on point psychologically. I mean, and that's maybe something else we're going to talk about. It's just the psychological importance of these novels. And this is I mean, I would argue in a sense, this is what psychology was even before there was psychology in the 19th century. I mean, psychology was starting as a field. But right. you know, trying to be treated very much as a science, as a hard science like neuroscience is now. Right. Um. I just think where you went for psychological information and sustenance was these stories. I mean, very much like the Bible. But sure. you know, a- after the invention of the printing press, you know, we, we could print you know hundred page books, and um, you know that was a technology that we didn't really have. So you know, we could explicate this side of humanity, this psychological side. That really couldn't be uh, demonstrated in plays. Mm. Um,
1: yeah. And what else did I? You're oh, saying yes. three reasons you didn't like the musical. Right. And,
0: and the other reason is that they, they treated it as uh, Fantine's low point when she was a prostitute, which the novel didn't treat it that way. The novel treated Fantine's low point as her, the, the loss of her hair and her teeth, mm. the loss of her, of her beauty. And, and I guess, you know, maybe treating the, the, the prostitution as a low point, that's more, uh, you, you know, more palpable, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess I can't be too upset about that. And, and the other thing, oh yeah, it is very similar to that. The other thing, and this is actually when I stopped watching the movie, the musical, is they made it seem like like her factory job. You know, she Fantine's working in John Valjean's factory. Right. Her factory job is what, it like couldn't provide for right she wasn't getting a living wage so to speak mm-hmm. it couldn't provide for her properly and that that's why she had to go live on the streets when in fact when you read the book it's it's the, it's the woman gossiping about her and she has cassette you know she has right. this um right. a child out of wedlock and she gets fired because of that it, it gets fired she gets fired because of the gossiping woman you mm-hmm. know showing this i don't want to get too political but showing this you know uh dark side of femininity that right. we don't see portrayed but, too but readily I right that, now
1: i do think that's in the in the film right um it's there during the whole scene where in the film when fontaine is in the factory um i can't remember the name of the song but it's very clear that all of the other women are being catty and that they all are kind of um jealous of her uh, and that 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 what sparks the whole incident which ends with her dismissal is their um their kind of emotional immaturity and cruelty toward her. Okay. Uh so I do think that's in there.
0: Well I could be wrong about that. I think well if by, by that time I was primed to not like
1: it. But either way, um like I said, I I I think that the musical is enough to be beneficial to many people.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, and and so what is the point of the? Not, well, l- let me just ask you. So, when did you first read it? How did you get into it? Because this isn't, I, I guess, it's a story that a lot of people like. But when you talk about the book, most people, you know, kind of go blank and say, uh, "Have you seen how?"
1: Right. How big no, I um, I saw. I saw it on stage in 1990, 1991, a long, long time ago. And um, and then I actually listened to the audio book just several years later. And then I saw, the, and then I saw the film. I don't. I probably didn't see the the the, the Hugh Jackman film until. Um. Oh, probably 2015, maybe no 2017 or 18, and um, I I actually don't think I saw the that film until I was about to use it in an ethics class I was teaching. I showed it to a group of students, and uh, we had it as a discussion piece. Oh, um,
0: what was the discussion about?
1: Well, it was about uh, well, okay. This was like an introductory course in uh, ethics to community college students, none of whom are going to be serious philosophers, right? And so we had, uh, you know, Les repre- it it represents artistically um, multiple sorts of moral questions and dilemma after dilemma for uh, Jean Valjean. And so we had lots of discussion about did he do the right thing? Why did he do the right thing? and um i think you know we did a um a short a short bit there in the class on virtue ethics um and and on natural law as well and um uh, was sort of talking about virtue in ter- in in terms of jean valjean
0: well there's several points you can talk about there i mean just stealing the loaf of bread right. to get into prison but then there's also the uh the shop affair the, uh, I, I swear i i don't <laughs> i'm not such a, a pinkies up guy when it comes to pronunciation of the foreign right. language but what but that's the the kind of uh respect i have for this book i'm not just gonna say champ matthews or <laughs> it's oh, right. it's the shop affair where the guy so this is when uh victor or not Victor Victor Hugo I mean it's interesting I made that slip because I think there's different iterations of Hugo's life in the characters like Mm -hmm. he's obviously Marius his his middle name's Marie Mm -hmm. he's obviously you know Jean Valjean and he's even the the little boy Gavroche right okay uh but um yeah so Jean Valjean he's out of prison the first time he's you know uh, this is after he's uh stolen the, the piece from Petit Gervais, the little the 40 sous piece or whatever it is. And he's mayor of this town. He's an industrialist. He has this factory. And somebody is accused of being Jean Valjean. Right. And, and he's on probation at this point because of the piece that he stole from uh, the Petit Gervais. And so if, if he's arrested again, he goes back to prison for life. Right. And, I, you know, one of the best parts in the novel that really shows a lot of this introspective a lot of these psychological truths is the tempest within the brain when he's when jean Valjean is deliberating do i go and turn myself in to save this guy or do i stay the mayor of this town and be this industrialist you know this guy who ultimately saved this town well look at how much good i'm doing here and if I went back and save this guy, you know, this guy's a transient. He doesn't mean much anyway. And just the back and forth. And, you know, what's great about it is he really has it in his mind. He, he really figured out that, no, I'm not going to go back because look at all the good I'm doing here. Right. Mm-hmm. You rationalize that to yourself. Right. But, of course, he still goes back and and saves it's, himself.
1: In the musical, that's all. That is all. You know, obviously, you, you can't be as... Has deep an examination in the musical, but it's represented no. in his singing the song called Who Am I? where he does have some of that struggle. Yeah. And he actually says this too. He says, I think in the musical, he says, Um, I am the master of hundreds of workers, they all look to me. Uh, what will happen to them if I am not free? Those are the lyrics, and this is basically the same. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. And so you can really make the case that he would do more good, you know, from the utilitarian perspective, Mm, you could do more good by saying the mayor of the town and letting this guy go to jail. But of course that's not Hugo's point, right? Right. Hugo is a child of the enlightenment. He's a child of this period in time where, you know, we looked at civilization and said, hmm, maybe the individual matters. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can't simply subjugate the individual to the collective or to some military campaign. Hmm maybe the individual mind matter and each individual mind matters and because of that that needs to be respected so no yeah you, you go turn yourself in because the truth matters more than anything else and we if we don't have the truth if we don't have this the justice for
1: a shot match shoe, right we don't have a you know, civilization I think, I think too like that that's a you know, the issue of identity uh, comes up again and again in uh in LeMez. And I think the, what, what lies underneath a lot of that for Jean Valjean and why he goes to court to announce himself is because he knows that if he does not, he can never be what he is. He can, you know, he can never be Jean Valjean. He'll be forever pretending to be someone else. But more importantly, right. he knows that he can, he can never be integrated. He can never be whole, right? Because he will always have built uh, a false. That's a moment where he has to choose between whether he's going to like continue to construct a false self, or whether he's going to um, be who he is. And um, and so when he chooses to announce himself, what he's doing is he's trying to lay the foundation. For a a sort of inward alignment that serves him as, throughout the rest of the story, actually, that serves as a foundation for him to build the rest of his self on, right? The rest of his um, identity on. Yeah, I I mean, now we
0: would say in our post-psychodynamic age, we would say shadow work, you know, integrate these unseemly parts of yourself into your psyche. Mm-hmm. and yeah mm-hmm. and, and jean valjean has a an identity crisis you know he, he cosette doesn't know who he is he, he's he's right. her father she doesn't know who he is and and i i kind of explain that you know like some question that comes up every once in a while is well why doesn't jean valjean have a girlfriend mm-hmm. isn't right. that this kind is of strange I, I i guess in i haven't seen it but i guess in the version where Liam Neeson plays jean valjean i think it mm-hmm. came out in 98 right i haven't seen that one Okay, yeah, well, it's implied that he loves Fantine, Mm. Mm. which, of course, is not in the book at all, although you can kind of, uh, I don't know if it's fair to Hugo, because (laughs) Hugo is far from a celibate man, you know, he had all these mistresses, and he saw prostitutes all the time, you know, and it was accepted, I mean, he was a celebrity by the time he was 30, so. Right. Actually, when he went into exile, he had a main mistress. He had his wife and a main mistress, and his, his mistress came into exile with them and wow. lived in the house. It was just um, so he was a far from celibate guy. But I, but I think the reason why I mean, I just like to say the reason why Jean Valjean never had a girlfriend is because he, he didn't have an identity. Right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't integrated. He didn't mm-hmm. do the thing fully until the end, until he admits to Cassette Marius who he is right like that's
1: when yeah. he finally becomes honest and of course that's when he can die well that's that is the that's the culmination when he admits to marius when he tells cosette what has actually happened in her life this is the culmination of his journey right so right. um yeah. so when he he ad, he admits who he is in court and then he promises fontaine to care for cosette and it's, you know, a huge part of the, of the underlying narrative there is that he develops his identity through the keeping of his promise, right? And the reason that he doesn't marry, the reason he doesn't have a girlfriend, etc., is that his promise excludes for him uh, all sorts of normal life. Right. And so like we see the uh, the profundity of his commitment to his word through uh, his sacrifice of normal life. And um, and so the payoff for that, of course, is that he can that is that he uh, he is rewarded at, you know, he's rewarded at the end uh, with basically paradise. Right. And um, and so what you see in Jean Valjean really is a um, is really about a man who, through his um, profound commitment to his word, to his his promise keeping, um, essentially becomes a saint. I mean, you know, in the in the in the movie, Marius even says this. Um, And so he. So his sacrifice is extreme in the um in the service of his promise.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he becomes a saint. He dies in a sense, he can move on into the next realm. I, th- I think Hugo has a very liberal interpretation of death in his novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, really struck me when I first read the novel in uh in college is I didn't know, you know, you know, obviously I'm in college, I have my own struggles. I'm, <laughs> I'm 20 years out of college, I, I still have plenty of struggles, right? But but just the way that Hugo predicts a guy struggling with the truth, whether to come clean, you know, through the uh, portrayal of, of Marius when he separates from his grandfather, from his royalist grandfather and joins this band of Republican uh, young men in the Abbe mm-hmm. Yeah, the struggle that you need to go through to really integrate yourself and to really mature so you can get to the place where Jean Valjean is at the end of truth and uh, you know, to be able to go on into the next realm, whatever you interpret that to mean. I, I mean, up until that time, I really never saw that portrayed in such an intricate, honest way. You know, reading the part of Marius, I mean, he was my age when I first read the book and I thought, oh my God, this is what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what I'm going through. And I guess part of the reason why I think it's really important to talk about this book is especially young men are always looking, how do we develop? Mm -hmm. How do we become the guy who we know that we deep down can be? And I think right now there is a surfeit of mindset, affirmations, Mm -hmm. do your gratitude list and all this stuff, which I'm not saying not to do that. But there's this undercurrent there that you need to tap into. And Part of it is you may need to be in misery for quite a long time. I mean, like Jean Valjean, you, you right. need to spend 19 years in prison, not unlike, you know, the Count of Monte Cristo and then Dante's, you need to spend a certain amount of time in prison, getting right. food thrown out, you, you know, the psychological version of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, to really question who you are and, and what you believe in, and right. all those things. So you can get to this place where you can be honest.
1: You know, one of the other things I will say about Les Mis is uh, another of the important themes is the futility of politics to bring about a, uh, a truly human world. Of right? course, yeah. And, um, in, and so this is why everyone at the barricade gets slaughtered and uh, well, it's why
0: hugo i think chose ultimately i don't know this to be true but it's why he chose ultimately to depict the 1832 revolution because mm-hmm. he knew, he knew it was a total failure i mean right. eventually it was a success
1: in 19 in 1848
0: but it was a total failure yeah, yeah.
1: and so yeah. uh you know the the theme is that um it is jean valjean and his pers- his promise keeping his almost um almost accidental pursuit of virtue right like i don't think of him as a character who's thinking what is the virtuous thing to do here he is only ever thinking about his promise and what is and his love for cosette this is and so so let me finish that first point so the point is the that the point is that only the only hope for uh any kind of truly human world is one in which uh, human beings keep their promises and through that are shaped into certain sorts of um, maturity and virtue. Uh, And that politics is, in fact, a kind of defense mechanism against that, that young men, particularly young men, fall into 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 thinking that... um, if we can create the right political conditions, then my uh, my inner pain will dissolve because uh, it's not part because because it's easy to imagine that your inner difficulties are not part of the human condition, but they're part of the political um, regime in which you happen to be living. It's as if they're a historical accident instead of um, endemic to the to human nature. Right. I mean, if we're, yeah, talking
0: about young men trying to develop and to be who they need to be, to be ultimately who they are, I think politics is a huge distraction now. And it's all mm-hmm. about uh, what this one politician did or didn't say, or can you believe this? And right. Yeah. I think the novel on the backdrop of the 1832 revolution just shows, I mean, by the way, what they're going through is way worse than what you're going through now. I mean, not to, you know, play the thing of like the first world problems thing, um, right. But, but it's, it's so much bigger than that. And, and once you can manage your own issues, you know, once you can go on Twitter and, and look at all the things that are horrible and realize, oh, this is me. Or once you can read a, a novel by uh, somebody who has a, a dramatic genius, if nothing else, Victor Hugo, and go, oh, wait, why is it that what Marius is going through is exactly what I'm going through? Mm -hmm. Hmm. (laughs) why is it all these thoughts that jean valjean has when in the tempest in the brain chapter when he's deciding whether to go uh you know Mm -hmm. do the right thing and you know justice for shot Manchu? why is it exactly my thoughts Mm -hmm. And your brain starts to work and then the immediately as you start to think oh these issues may be my issues just unconsciously you're you don't look at politics anymore I right. don't think your politics change. I, I think that's pretty, pretty much stable, but you're much less likely to be political. It, yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, the biggest so-called political movement or the biggest political thing you can do is, is you know, how it's represented in the novel when Jean Valjean is honest with Cassette and Marius. Mm-hmm. When, when you can sit down and be honest with the people who you love, i.e. integrate your shadow in a healthy way. That's That's the biggest political revolution of your life. Right. And thinking that it's, oh, whether it's the bourbons or Louis Philippe, this guy is right. still in charge. He's so terrible. That's that's all a that's distraction. Right. I know it right. feels right. I know it right. feels right. And you can point to things that Louis Philippe has done that are objectively wrong, and you're right about that, but you can still be right about something and completely miss the point.
1: Right, right, right. And I you know, and I think. There is a there's a sense in which, you know, in our time, what we see is, and I think, you know, accelerated by our technology is really a a compul- compulsive outrage, which has become a kind of um, a kind of addiction that people use to avoid all of these real issues. You know, the, you see it on Twitter constantly mm-hmm. and it's very and, and like 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 most compulsive behaviors, it's difficult for people to give up, especially when it's so normalized. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: And we all do it, you know, and we all have that thing. And I'm not saying everybody is the same morally, but it's, you know, it's all of our struggle to, to realize the truth. You know, the truth isn't something that you simply say or decide to say in a moment. It's comes from this deeper well of awareness and realizing where your issues come from and um right if you can't do that you know there's the truth you know the lowercase t truth of this person on twitter is wrong right which factually may be you know very much true right then there's the capital t truth of oh i want to get resentful about this it's really about resentment i had with my father and the way that he treated me when i was eight but but really that's not even true that's about how i have yeah that issue is not my fault but i am perpetuating that issue by Mm -hmm. not managing the resentment in a healthy way right right and i don't want to look at all that so i'm just gonna point to how this other person on twitter Mm -hmm. is wrong Mm -hmm.
1: yes Um, you know and i think here is the here is the thing that nobody talks about because it's embarrassing but for whatever reason but you know what les mis is ultimately about is about love and about its power the in the in the book that you were that you my book you know i talk at the end a little bit about love as power and um and that you know and and les mis is a good example of that because honestly after he adopts cosette right jean valjean's life is organized around that love and it is in that love that he finds the power to keep his promises and it's his promise keeping then that shapes his identity and so um so you know the uh, there's there's just a theme of of what love does to us that runs through um, Les Mis that is also, I just thought, worth commenting on.
0: Yeah, well, as Hugo would say, well, as first Aristotle said, and as Hugo would agree, you can't have love without virtue.
1: Right. I think that is true.
0: So it's part of, yeah, looking at your development. And, and you know, you can find virtue. And I think that's the, the, the point of Calling it Les Misérables, you can find virtue. I mean, not dissimilar from the title of your book, Common Good. It's like mm. it's looking at the lowest rung of society. I mean, that's not really what you're doing in the book, but but I but it sounds like the intention behind your book is very really much the you know how Hugo developed the novel of uh, Les Misérables because you know the, some of the stuff in, in the novel he saw these things. He experienced them or heard about them through a friend that I, I think famously the pro- he witnessed or yeah, no, I, I think he witnessed this. He witnessed a prostitute, you know, she was getting made fun of by some bourgeois guy, and she, and she took snow and put it down the back of his coat, which of course what Frankine does, and that's ultimately why she gets arrested. Mm-hmm. He notices this stuff. So he's out there living and seeing things and he can find, you know, the good isn't from the top down. It's from the bottom up. It's noticing what, you know, even the lowest rung of society, Gavroche, mm-hmm. you know, this urchin boy who was born into this terrible family who doesn't care about him precisely because he's a boy, you know, throws him out on the street. You find the most virtuous behavior in that. And I think, you know, that's the process, it seems to me. And, and what I really liked about your book is the, the process of you just, noting your experience mm. like this is what I see and here's where I see virtue in this here's where I see a representation of virtue and here's where I see a representation of vice and here's you know my interpretation of what's going on you're not in some ivory tower you know mm. chair or anything like that right. you're you're experienced things you're seeing things and you and you can point to this is why this is virtuous based on my observation this is why this is vice Mm-hmm. you know it it, it you, you don't have to read some guy named Descartes to to figure this stuff out like we are all philosophers in that sense and I think I, I mean what I really appreciate about your book more than anything else is the process behind it and it's, it seems very similar to the process behind um you
1: know Les Miserables so well certainly uh certainly Les Mis was a you know has been a big influence on my thinking but um I would be, I would hesitate to put our, my, our books in the same category of quality. But um, but yes, and I think, you know, this is part of the, um, part of re- related to talking about Les Mis, you know, part of the theme is that while there may not be political equality there is a kind of moral equality that is accessible to everyone. Um, Right. And and that's sort of what you're saying. It's like that there is a kind of um, there is that everyone has like an equal opportunity to behave, not even behave, but to sort of prioritize the good. Right. And whether it comes right. from the bottom rung of society or the top rung,
0: it, it's the same thing. It, it, right. it doesn't matter. Right, right, right. Yeah. And some of the most you know profound virtues, or acts of virtue, you know, you know whether this politician who you like signs this bill that you like, or doesn't sign a bill, depending on what your politics are, that mm-hmm. is completely immaterial. What is material is as you're scrolling through Twitter, can you at least entertain the idea that you're looking at parts of yourself that you don't want to
1: see, that you don't want to admit right. that are you. The um, I think part of just part of maturing in this way is being able to begin to uh sort of understand what is subordinate and what is what is first order, and so I think you know, as far as politics goes, particularly uh, you know, in terms of people reacting on social media, etc., I think. Uh, there is a, a kind of upside downness in many people's minds, where politics, which ought to be subordinate to all of us, to, our, to the question of our own integration, maturity, character, etc., is actually elevated uh, above our, you know, sort of resolution of our personal struggles, and so it's not to say that all politics is irrelevant and all politics is a waste of time and all et cetera, et cetera, but that politics, insofar as, as it is the art of living together, um, has to be subordinate to being the being the kind of person who could be a good neighbor to begin with.
0: Yeah. I mean, the way I like to think about politics is it's just a projection of our unconscious issues and Mm that the the size of the government, you know, the corruption of the government, that's just going to be directly proportional to unresolved so-called corruption of the unconscious issues of the citizens. And Mm -hmm. because, because like you said, that's why we look at politics. You said that 10 minutes ago, we look up, oh, I have this issue that I either can't point to, I don't understand, or if I do understand it, I don't feel like I can resolve and so unconscious, like you project out an issue and it happens unconsciously. You don't think, oh, I'm going to project this issue. It right. happens. You put on something else and you really think you're dealing with something out there. And that's what we do with politics. Okay, I, I have this issue. The pol- politicians are going to save it. And the, the more issues we have, the more we put on them and necessarily the more corrupt and unhelpful they're going to be. You know, if, right. if anybody was in these positions of power, they, nobody could do anything different. Mm-hmm. right um it's just the, the nature of the the culture we're in and what we're dealing with but right right all right so back to Les Miserables. where did I what okay well let me ask you this what's your um like a favorite part in the story that really stands out to you and, and really means something
1: uh well uh, two things I think that I I really um I really have returned again and again to thinking about the relationship between Jean Valjean and Javert, right and sort of how they are foils of one another mm-hmm. and who Javert is um, and how why does Javert's life end in suicide and um Jean Valjean's life ends in a, a good death and paradise, etc. Right, uh, and especially like in um, Javert's insistence, uh, Javert's understanding of what the good is—he he he generally understands the good to be the legal, right. And um, uh, so maybe I should just say Javert is the policeman who hunts jean valjean across the span of his life in case we 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 people i don't know but um you know and so in the story jean valjean comes to a moment where he could basically kill javert and he uh lets him go and this is ultimately what prompts javert's suicide and that javert is a person who has come well, he, he has built his life around what the law, but that he's also obviously quite full of resentment uh, from, from his own having been born to criminals, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it becomes clear that he is a person who essentially is uh, furious at being itself, right? That he is a person who cannot accept the... Um, the reality of the world that the world does not does not function according to the law as he sees it and so uh, and he's also a person who i think um despises mercy in a way and so i think sees mercy as a um a path for people who deserve punishment to escape it so he sees mercy as inherently unjust and so when jean valjean has mercy on him by not killing him he sees that he interprets that act of kindness as uh, another act in the war between the two of them and uh, and so thinks that by destroying himself he can um, he, it's a, it's a, he's trying to repudiate um, everything that Jean Valjean is. And I, I think just the way that um, Javert clearly constructs his world and how it then becomes, it, it, it falls apart uh, when Jean Valjean extends this kindness to him. I've always found that very telling and um, and fascinating.
0: Yeah. So is that how it's portrayed in the musical that javert committing suicide is a way to get back at jean valjean because i always interpreted it as maybe i heard this from somewhere i mean i've read a bunch of uh, books on the miserable so I, I can't claim this is my original idea but jean valjean taking you know here's a guy who's a criminal right that he's a bad guy and the fact that he can do something good like show mercy on javert even when javert is after him that does not fit into javert's worldview Yes. So in order, like he can't deal with it. It's like this eruption, eruption with an eye of the unconscious, he can't deal with it. So he can't live in that world where now all his values, and now he's has to look back at his entire life and say, everything I knew was totally wrong. And, and that's right. what happens to a lot of people. If, if they right. have a, you know, if an existential crisis breaks you, it's, it's because you were so committed to one way of being. That you couldn't survive it, and so you just enter this perpetual state of neurosis and eventually uh, death, and and that's why. And also, I think he had to kill himself because I mean, Javert, or, Javert's dead body was is is this implied, or am I just making too much of it? Javert's dead body needed to be mistaken for Jean Valjean, so Jean Valjean had to be presumed to be dead, and Javert knew. Okay, I I would be, or.
1: I don't recall that.
0: Is that, is that I don't know. It's not, but it's not, but oh, there, there's, dirt there's dirt a
1: substantial dirt. point, right? Is, yeah, it,
0: but, it, but the psychological point matters more, anyways.
1: So. Right. And that's, and, and that's, and what you said there is essentially what I was trying to say, right? Oh. That he cannot, he cannot incorporate the moral complexity of uh, viewing someone he assumed to be bad to do something good for him. And so, like, part of what he's trying to do is he's trying, he, he's struggling to see Jean Valjean's mercy on him with uh, he almost tries to see it as uh, as itself bad like um like he like like he, he thinks that Jean Valjean's act of mercy was in fact an act of aggression toward him right because he can only think of Jean Valjean as an aggressor hmm uh, and and so so what so what happens is like you said his worldview crumbles because it's it is so rigid and so um, sort of so built on um, this particular kind of conception of um, of human nature and the law that when um, when Jean Valjean does something that javert himself would not have done and which is unpredictable for javert it creates a crisis for him that his world you cannot um cannot endure
0: yeah so i guess i I mean javert is a great character he's a great archetype um you see it all the time you know maybe in the in the relevance of uh, modern men or young men i mean you know again we're, we're just drunk on positivity and affirmations so you think anything that's negative or any negative thought we have about ourselves is ultimately wrong it just needs to be turned off mm. when in fact there could be a lot of information there and in that negative thought and it's not just about turning it off it's about you know looking at it mining it for what it really is and also mm-hmm. this may be an annoying reference for you but uh, you, you probably don't watch the show but there's a show stranger things and, and there's a great javert type character in that show in the most recent season and in fact when the i don't know <laughs> now, now i regret bringing it up but when the, 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 there's this upside down world that erupts into the normal world and when that ha- which is of course was uh, symbolic of, of an eruption of the unconscious and of course when that happens it actually splits the javert type character two. like he just cannot mm-hmm. survive that kind of thing so it's this mm-hmm. great kind of uh, you know
1: modern edition of the uh, right character i I saw the first season of that show but my 15 year old uh loves it so i hear about it
0: yeah it's a show for 15 year olds and i think i'm 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 way i'm 40 so i I really shouldn't be watching that show but hey maybe it's okay if i watch it if i have all these uh,
1: right 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 then then it's fine exercise for you (laughs) yeah right professional Um,
0: development but i do think there are some good it's like i mean i i think these shows are popular for a reason and i think there's some good psychological truths so if you're gonna watch dumb shows at least at least try to be somewhat intellectual about it right so yeah so one of your favorite parts is Is the fact that javert needs to end his life based on
1: what jean valjean did right and you know and it's like um and, and and just sort of to think about how how resentment is the character is, is Jean Valjean oh, Jean Valjean is Javert's fundamental approach to life. His resentment dominates everything for him, and um, you know his resentment of his own sta- status, his uh, his resentment of his own family and birth, his own station, and, uh, and his resentment of anyone who, um, who, in, who commits an infraction against the law and is, who gets away with it. He almost seems to have a, a view that if everyone were adequately punished, we could um, basically have a kind of heaven on earth. Uh, and I suppose that's, now that I say that, right, it's interesting, you know, because in Christian, in some sorts of Christian theology, there is a um, a heavy distinction between the law and the gospel. And uh, and I think we can almost see Javert as representing the law, and um, Jean Valjean as representing the gospel, insofar as... Um, Jean, uh, Javert believes that human redemption comes through adherence to the law and proper punishment and reward for that. Whereas Jean Valjean is, a, is an example of, uh, of redemption that comes through love, virtue, and promise-keeping, right? And that, um, and he is a person who, who finds his redemption even though he is a criminal, right, that he is outside the law, which is where he is operating, outside the law, but within this, these, these, this, the parameters of love and virtue and promise-keeping. So they, so the, they are um, they're foils in that way, in their fundamental understanding of what the good is.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like it dovetails back in what we were saying before about is, um, you know, politics versus morality. Mm. Politics, do we need to set up society in the correct way and punish people or reward people in the correct way? Or do we need to foster this kind of, well, I don't even like saying that, or does each individual need to look inwards and foster in themselves an ability to, you know, wrestle with, is this good is this bad what do i do what what's mm-hmm. the right action what does it mean to connect i have this thing called resentment mm-hmm. you know what does it mean about me right do we look inwards or do we look outwards
1: mm-hmm.
0: are, are we going to be more conceptual about what a human is or are or are we going to be more you know concrete bound and just look like right. at rewards you know it's, it sounds very much Javert would be in favor of, of a bf skinner walden too you right know, it's right, a set right. of society right. and like it's just the right rewards and punishments but you don't take into account this thing called, you know, for lack of a better term, soul. Mm-hmm. The fact that we have a consciousness, that we have free will to some extent. Mm-hmm. Like I always say, like mar- communism, Marxism works if humans, if you treat humans no differently than you would treat a factory or a coal mine, right then it all makes sense. But it's just based on this flawed perception of human nature. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what Javert represents, you know, the 19th century version of that.
1: Mm -hmm. That's probably true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess my favorite part of the novel is somewhat similar in in a sense. It's, I don't know if this is portrayed in in the musical, but Jean Valjean standing with Cosette and this is towards the midpoint of the novel. So they're together. I think Cosette's a teenager. Mm this could be right around or maybe right after they meet uh, Marius or they see him at the Luxembourg at the gardens and they see a, a train of criminals go by mm. in their cage and they're being whipped and they're in chains. And it's just this really heavy scene of, of them two witnessing this. And of course, cassette with her innocent perspective. And then, then there's Jean Valjean, which is I'm still that. Right. And Cassette asked Jean Valjean something to the effect of, are they men or can they ever become men? Mm. And Jean Valjean's response is sometimes. Because mm-hmm. that just portrays everything. Like, what are we? Right? Are are we this animal mm-hmm. that gives into our, you know, our impulses, our, our ultimately self-destructive impulses, or are we this thing that can see truth and morality? beyond that as represented by jean Valjean's life and i just think in that i, I mean I, I, you just gotta read that passage because the way that that hugo describes it is obviously something i can't even come right. close to uh giving the, um yeah
1: right right but the, but also you know the the train load of criminals right is uh just exactly what you're saying it's kind of this industrial approach to to people uh the reduction of people to um to objects and to you know uh, to a commodity right. right
0: yeah yeah i mean i'm uh you know what one of my uh i guess i would say unpopular views right there's that mean unpopular opinion right uh, unpopular opinion i think uh, putting people in cages as punishment is a travesty And we only do it because it's this holdover from this time where we didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. And now we do know better and we still do it. I mean, not that you don't take, obviously you take criminals or people who are going to be dangerous to other people out of civilization, of course. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. the fact that we put them in cages and still chain them up, I think is, is absolutely awful. Mm -hmm. And I think in a hundred, it's going to be one of those things I think like slavery, like we look back and how could there possibly be slavery? I mean, this is awful in 150 years. We're going to look back and be like, how, So we thought we were going to put a guy in a cage and he was going to get better. Right? What are we thinking? I know. Yeah,
1: cool. I mean, uh, this is way off the original topic, but clearly, there is, you know, there is a need for a certain kind of reform of the prison system, et cetera. That, um, that I think, reasonable people should undertake for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess the part of the reason i want to talk about Le Miserable is because um not just Le miserables right but as i kind of hinted at before it's like this part of this instruction manual and not just telling you what to do like hey do these things mm-hmm. don't do these things like like any idiot who has marcus Aurelius as their avatar on, on twitter can tell you yeah. but it's it's there's actually a way to, uh, to live life not not so much a way to live life but but there's this s- development that we all need to go through and it's archetypal it's in mm-hmm. us. That's why, you know, we, we go see a movie and it's the same movie that came out last year, effectively. Right. Uh, it's, you know, I haven't seen the new Top Gun, but I, I'm bet it, I, it's a lot like, and has all the same uh, lessons and it follows the same structure as the original Top Gun. Yet, yet, why do we need to see it? Because we need to see ourselves. We need to see what we go through. And there's a, an intricate, um, explicated version of this called novels
1: Mm. that Mm. has
0: all this great information in there and and your mindset training again i'm not saying to stop doing that but it it doesn't touch this deeper, doesn't show you what you need to do it it doesn't um provide you with the understanding and and dare i say empathy Mm -hmm. that you need to really come out of these to acknowledge these dark aspects of yourself and come out of them Mm-hmm. So I, I guess in that vein, I mean what else do you um, look towards besides *The miserable I mean what's another favorite novel that you think is is in this vein?
1: Yeah, you know I I have I have not for years been a, a big fiction reader, right but uh, so so let me think about it for a moment right in terms of like powerful stories. Um, here is uh, let me make a movie recommendation that i think um probably you've never seen and most of your listeners have probably never seen and uh it's a film it's another film i used to show to let's talk about films because that's easier for me because i've seen Great. movies yeah. I, i've not read a lot of fiction for the last many years um I used to show students uh an old movie from the early 60s called Lonely Are the Brave. I don't know if you know that film or not. It's based on a uh a novel by uh by Edward Abbey, uh who was also a massive influence on me when I was 19. Edward Abbey was the father of what we now call the radical environmental movement, okay? And um But this novel, uh, this movie is based on his novel uh, that I believe is called Fire on the Mountain, Um, but the movie is called Lonely Are the Brave, and it is about the last cowboy and is set in 1962, but you don't know that for the first five minutes of the movie because it's literally a guy dressed as if he's in the Old West riding his horse through the desert.
0: I'm sorry, you said 1952.
1: Nineteen sixty-two.
0: Nineteen sixty-two. Okay,
1: so. I believe it's nineteen sixty-two. Okay, and um, and it's about sort of the the struggle of the individual against the increasingly industrialized and conformed consumer culture, and uh, it is a tragedy. All right, So uh, I don't know if this is a big spoiler, but industrial consumer culture wins in the end.
0: No way.
1: <laughs> and, um, which I think is interesting for Abby because, you know, he, he hated industrial consumer culture as much as anybody could. And, uh, but, uh, but that, that film I think is good insofar as it represents, um, The sort of historic uh, heroic struggle of the individual, even if, um, even if, even in circumstances where he doesn't, like Jean Valjean, end up winning, right? Uh, That there is that there is there continues to be value in um, sort of maintaining one's integrity. Even in situations where what is arrayed against you is overwhelming, and you and you have to ask, you know, and the question is presenting to you is, um, what what is the value of being an integrated person, even when your your culture is pressuring you to do otherwise i think lonely the brave is a very um very profound movie that um touches on some of these important issues
0: yeah we don't have all the vices we had in the 19th century we have different vices now Mm -hmm. because now we live in this yeah post-industrial age where you can have anything Mm -hmm. at the the click of a button (laughs) I mean I right. you know, you know I'm thinking yeah and it's and it's like, like that this is the modern struggle and you know thinking- it's like anything like I don't want to resist that because you know in, in a way it's you know it's uh kind of gross that we have a Wendy's on every corner, but also it's good because 200 years ago people were starving to death. Right. But it's like how do we take this thing and integrate it in a healthy way? And yeah, I think it just comes back to are you integrated right. And Here's if you're interesting- not, then you're you're just gonna take your vices out on,
1: on food, right? Now we have obesity as an issue, of course. Right. But um, yeah. Speaking of vices, um, I just was noticing this yesterday, day before, you know, I remember when I was a kid in the 1970s and even into the eighties, there was a lot of talk in our culture about alcoholism. Okay. There would, there, you know, there were TV movies about the dangers of alcoholism. There were talk shows about alcoholism and, um, all of that and in now in popular culture you never hear that mentioned right like um, uh, I, I don't I can't think of a single television series or movie in the last probably close to 20 years hmm. that where alcoholism no nah, that's not true I can think of a couple of movies but but it has um, disappeared from our mainstream popular culture discussion at the level where it was in, say, 1979.
0: And I just thought,
1: I just think that is interesting, because it's almost like um, we, our culture has spun out so much that uh, just being an alcoholic now is considered um, a lighter problem to manage. I, I suppose that uh, what I'm saying is that you know you do go through these historic eras where mm, where concerns about different vices come in waves, right? They they are um, they ebb and flow. The concern about them to, in culture. Yeah, I don't
0: think we're consuming any less alcohol than we did in the 1970s. I, I actually don't know. Maybe we are. Right, right. Yes,
1: right. I, I don't know either. But I, but my impression, I think I have heard that in fact, culturally, we are consuming less. But, but one way or another, I just made the anecdotal observation that you used to, you know, 50 years ago, 45 years ago, hear a lot more about it about the problems of alcoholism in public discussion.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just become like the fat acceptance thing. Like once enough people are alcoholics, then it's just, yeah, that's just our culture. And once enough right. people are obese, it's like, no, this is just who we are. And we right. can put them on the cover of, you know, you know, swimsuit magazines or whatever.
1: Right. Right, right, right.
0: Um, but that is time. I know you gotta get going. I gotta get going. So thanks for being part of this discussion, Dave. Oh, thanks. thank you. Thanks for entertaining my obsession speaking of obsession with uh les miserables this is my actual my my les miserables t-shirt oh yeah it just has text from the book from
1: the book oh fantastic i want
0: sure on on which if you didn't didn't know i like Miserable. if you didn't know yeah. you do right. Yeah, yeah this, this, this indicates my love for Le miserables it also indicates the fact that um really need a girlfriend i think <laughs> is, is well, that, that's another indication right 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 um, But anyways, okay. So Twitter account, oh I'm going to put that on the description. Anything else? I'm going to put a link to your
1: book. Okay, great. Yeah, at Dean Abbott, my books, both of my books are available on Amazon. Just search my name. They'll come up.
0: Okay. All right, Dean. Thanks again for doing this. I appreciate it.
1: No problem. Thank you. Let's do it again sometime.